All right, take your Bibles and open up to uh, the 16th chapter of the book of, of John, the Gospel of John, and we'll read our text here in just a few minutes. Um, I have to tell you, Van, uh, thank you for sharing that uh, last song about Christ being magnified, and i tell you why. Saturday nights are usually restless nights for me because of Sunday and because of uh, <clears throat> wanting to share the Word of God accurately and faithfully. And uh, the psalmist said that he speaks to me in the night watches. <clears throat> and uh, that's so true in my life. I hear him so many <clears throat> nights, Saturday nights to Sunday morning. <clears throat> and last night, uh, through the night watches, <clears throat> that song was echoing in my heart, and I was praying it to him, Lord, be magnified, and be magnified, that song. So I didn't know they were going to do it, and I wish I'd have known. I wouldn't have let you done it before <laughs> I get up to, to speak. But uh, God is good about those things, and to reaffirm himself in our hearts and, and our minds. And it's fully appropriate for the new series that I want to begin with you uh, today, uh, entitled Life in the Spirit, and the subtitle of that is The Normal Christian Life. And for the weeks to come, I want to talk to you about the importance of living in the power of the Holy Spirit and what that looks like and what it means and what the role of the Holy Spirit is. And uh, by the way, it is to speak to us, as he did to me in the night watches. That's part of the role of the Spirit of God is to communicate what uh, God has to say to us so that we can be uh, vessels that he can speak through others. You say, well, is that just for preachers? No, that's for all of us. And that's why uh, living in the power of the Holy Spirit is so very, uh, very important. And I also want to say uh, that it is the normal Christian life. Vance Havner, an old preacher, a great preacher, legendary preacher, used to say this, most Christians live such a subnormal Christian life that if they ever began to live the normal Christian life, most people would think they were abnormal. You see, the normal Christian life is the, the life of the believer that is full of the power of the Spirit of God. And this series is about that. Um, it's timely, I believe, and it is important. It's timely because of all the turmoil and uncertainty that we're facing right now uh, around us. And it's important because the fact is, as a Christian... Uh, if you're going to know how to appropriately face what's going around you, you're going to need supernatural help. Amen. And the good news is, as we gather in this place today, the Scripture reminds us that we have supernatural help. We have a help that uh, the, the rest of the world doesn't have, and uh, that is the power of the Holy Spirit operating inside of us. Charles Spurgeon said this one time. He said, without the Spirit of God, we can do nothing. He said, we're like ships without the wind. We're like branches without sap. He said, and we are like coals in a fire that have no fire. He said, without the Spirit, we are completely useless. And so I want to share this passage with you. And we're going we're gonna to be a lot of, in a lot of different passages in the course of this series. But we're, there are several key passages that we'll be looking at in the weeks to come that come out of this segment. And I'll give you a little context in just a moment. If you're physically able to do so, though, I invite you to stand with me 
as we read, uh, beginning in verse 4 of chapter 16, this is Jesus talking to the disciples, and this is what he says. I have said these things to you that when their, their hour comes, that is the things that I'm talking about, when that comes, you may remember that I told them to you. He said, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him, that is the Father who sent me, and none of you ask, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, and this is an important statement, I tell you the truth, it is to your, listen to this, advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, that is the Spirit of God, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. And concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Father, declare to us now. Uh, that which you want us to hear and know. And Father, declare to us the truth. Father, so many mixed voices. We need your voice, your clear voice. Would you speak to us today? I pray for your conviction, the conviction of the Spirit, Father, where it is so needed in our lives. I pray, Father, that you will correct and convince and challenge us, but most of all, transform us with your word. Speak now through your Holy Spirit, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. And you may be seated. And let me give you a little bit of context, a little bit of the setting of what's going on uh, right here in uh, this passage. Um, Jesus is, is approaching uh, his crucifixion. He's approaching his trial. In fact, in chapter 18, we see that that whole process is set in motion. But there's a, you might say, and I don't know if this is the right term to use, but I think you'll at least understand if I use this term, there's a cram session going on before Jesus is gone. He's gathered the disciples together, and in particular, chapter 14, 15, 16, and 17, there's this cram session going on. He's telling his followers some of the vital truths that they need before his departure, okay? He knows the departure's coming, but there's some, it's kind of like, you know, uh, a person on their deathbed gathering the family together and saying, now before I'm gone, I need to tell you several things. You need to know these things. And that's really kind of what Jesus is doing. And uh, because he knows what is coming for them. And it's, it's going to be a difficult time. It's going to be a time of suffering and difficulty and challenge and persecution, all simply because they are followers of Christ and because they are carrying out his mission. And so he wants them, um, he doesn't want them living in fear, and he doesn't want them um, thinking, what do we do? How do we make it? How do we face what's going on uh, in our world? 
And so he's giving them these vital truths. Chapter 14 speaks a lot about the Holy Spirit. We'll come back to that uh, a bit in this message, but also in future messages. Uh, Chapter 15 is about abiding. I mean, that's the central theme is about abiding in Christ, and that's a spirit relationship. We'll talk about that in this series. Uh, uh, Then we have chapter 16, which is about how to get the work done and who the Spirit is and what the Spirit does, and we need to understand that right out of the gates. Why I've chosen that passage this morning. And then chapter 7, 17 is what we call the high priestly prayer. Did you know Jesus prayed for all of those who would follow him? Did you know the Bible says he's already prayed? If you're a believer, he prayed for you. Because it says when he's telling the disciples these things in this high priestly prayer, he said, I have prayed for you, but not only you, all of those who would believe as a result. Jesus prayed for us. Think about that 2,000 years ago. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too great for us to express sometimes you know you're praying you say i don't think that makes sense you ever been there you're kind of trying to pray and it just doesn't make sense well you know what the bible says the holy spirit if you're a believer in you he takes what you're saying and he presents it to the throne of god in a way that makes sense to god that's another way that he's your helper it's not the subject of today but he he does that for us and so Jesus is telling them this thing. You see something, by the way, you'll see something that continues to occur in these chapters, and it is uh, Jesus saying, I'm telling you this in advance. And we see it twice in this chapter. We see it in verse 1, which we didn't read, but he says, so I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. In other words, I'm teaching you about your resource, your help, the Holy Spirit. I'm teaching you about this because right now you don't understand it. You will uh, in days to come, but I want you to remember what I've told you so that when you face these things, you remember that you have help and you have a resource. He said, I'm telling you in advance. He says it again in verse 4, but I've said these things to you so that when the hour comes and the difficulty comes, you'll know you have a resource and you have a help. He says it uh, several times in these chapters. I'm letting you know in advance. What a great Savior we have to say, I want to get you prepared. I don't want you to be unprepared. And that's why I think this series on the Spirit is so apropos during the seasons that we are living in. He's made provision for us, and we need to understand what that's all about. He is our helper, and that's what He wanted them to understand and us to understand. The fact is, you and I really aren't designed to make it without the help of the Spirit of God operating in our life. Uh, I recently have been reading a, a biography about uh, uh, D.L. Moody. I've read several through the years, and I would highly recommend that you read some, too, about some of these incredible folks. You know, by the way, a lot of times there are a lot of biographies out there of Christian men and women and leaders, and some of them uh, are, are really good, but some of them the jury's still out on. That's why I love to go back and read uh, uh, biographies of men and women who ran the course faithfully. Because you don't have to wonder, are they going to stay the course? You can go back and read and say they did stay the course, and they left a lot of examples for it. D.L. Moody is one of those. I've been reading a new biography I came across about him, and um, there was an occasion where he was speaking to a large audience, and he held up a glass, an empty glass, and he asked the audience, he said, does anybody here know how to get the air out of this glass? And a guy yelled out and said, well, uh, pump it out. Just pump it out. Pump the air out. And Moody said, well, you could get the air out that way, but you'd also create a vacuum, and it would cause the glass to crack and crumble. 
And then after several numerous kinds of, you know, from the crowd here, here, try this or this, Moody said, how about this? And he reached over and there was a pitcher of water. He pulled the pitcher of water, he took the glass and he just filled the glass up. He said, the air is now gone. And the whole point was, as, his, uh, uh, as he was communicating them, was if you really want to uh, 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 remove the air, you've got to fill it with something else, put it in place. And, and for the Christian, that same principle is true. We have to be emptied of ourselves and filled up with the Holy Spirit of God. Jesus sent the Spirit, but we have to allow the Spirit to fill us. To control us. If we are believers, we have the Spirit of God residing in us, but we may not have the Spirit of God presiding over us. And that's a, a choice. We have to allow Him to fill us. And so today I want to show you three things about the Spirit of God. And I've noted, I'm naming the message, what in the world's He up to? Well, I want to show you what the Spirit of God is up to. The first thing I want you to see is the advantage of the Holy Spirit. We see it in verse 7. Look, uh, keep your Bibles open, if you will. It says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage. Jesus is saying to them, he said, I I've told you that I'm leaving, I'm going to the Father. And then he said, because I've said these things to you, your hearts are filled with sadness and sorrow. See, they thought, man, we're lo losing the greatest influence that we've ever had in our life. And Jesus says, you can't see it that way. You have to understand, while you are filled with sorrow right now, there's a reason that I'm going to the Father. And he said, it is to your advantage. You want me to stay, but it is more advantageous for you if I go to the Father. Why is that? Because he said, if I go to the Father, I can send the helper to you. In the Greek, the idea is the paraclete, the one who, who, who will be in you and who will assist you. Jesus is saying, it is to your advantage that I go away. In fact, we'll look at this in a, another message, but John 14, in that passage, Jesus said this, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. See, I've been your helper, but he's going to give you another helper, uh, one who will be uh, with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world, listen to this, the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. And just a footnote, if you don't know Christ, I'm not trying to hurt your feelings, but you can't understand and you can't even receive the Holy Spirit, okay? Amen. And so he says, they, the, the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. And then he adds, but you know him, for he dwells with you and he will be in you. You know what Jesus is saying? The reason the Holy Spirit is to our advantage, it was for him to go, is because he, has been, he had been with them. He had walked beside them. He had taught them. He's teaching them right here. He's been preparing them and everything. But he says, if I go to the Father, there's something even better for you, and that is the Holy Spirit is coming to you, and he will not be with you, beside you. He will reside in you. And he says, so that's to your advantage. Now, listen, that is an advantage. If you are a, 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 a child of God, that's the advantage you have that the rest of the world doesn't have. You have resources and you have help and power that the rest of the world doesn't have. Now, let me tell you what the Holy Spirit isn't. The Holy Spirit is not some simple amorphous blob, a, a floating uh, kind of spiritual influence out there. That's not what the Holy uh, Spirit is. Listen, the Holy Spirit is God. He is God. He is not uh, 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 an, uh, an offshoot. He is God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you something else. This wasn't the origin of the Holy Spirit. 
Jesus is not saying, I'm, we're about to create a new entity called the Spirit. When I go to the Father, we'll create a new one. And then we'll look at and talk about Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 in just a moment where they go to Jerusalem and the Spirit comes down. But this is not the origin of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Holy Spirit had always existed. In fact, let me tell you, from the very beginning. Let me prove it to you. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the Spirit of God moved across the face of the waters. See, the Spirit's always existed. We have the occasion where the Spirit, you know, when, when Saul was uh, hiding and then he, he came forth, God said, you're going to be the first king. And the Bible, Bible says the Spirit came down upon him. And he prophesied. And then there's occasion where the Spirit, we see the Spirit specifically coming down upon David. There were occasions in the, uh, the Old Testament where the Spirit would uh, activate himself on someone for a task, all right? The Bible also says about Saul, who walked under the power and the influence of the Spirit of God, but for uh, special kinds of anointing. Does that make sense? But it also says of Saul that the Spirit of God left him and he didn't even know it. So in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God was very much alive. This isn't the beginning of, of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God has always existed in the divine trinity. He's always been there. But something is about to change about the dynamic of the Spirit of God, and that is no, more, no longer is he just going to show up and, and anoint us for a task. He is going to indwell us and empower us for every task and everything in life if we allow him. To fill us. And so we had this advantage. Now, the Holy Spirit gives it to us so that we can face whatever we have to face. The context, again, here is difficulties that were coming. They, they didn't even know or understand the kind of difficulties that they were going to face. So Jesus said, I'm going to give you a helper, you, and you're going to need this helper to face uh, whatever comes your way. The problems the circumstances of your life. And, and by the way, because you got the Holy Spirit, Jesus didn't say that when the Holy Spirit fills you, then you won't have any problems. He never said that. But what he said is that he will be the power in you that enables you to face the problems that you face. Makes sense, doesn't it? Um, I brought a prop with me this morning. It's a glove. I grabbed it out of my, my glove box in my car where you're supposed to keep gloves. And... Um, and I brought it in with me. And I want to tell you something. This glove, um, if I lay it right there and say, glove, pick up my Bible. It is not a very obedient glove. And I could say, glove, go shake people's hands. Or I used to could. Glove, go shake people's hands. And you know, look at this glove. I mean, I'm, I'm halfway embarrassed that my glove is not more obedient than that. It just seems like it's just a shell. It just, uh, but there is something I can do to this glove. If it will not fit, you must quit. Uh, <laughs> uh, some of y'all know what that means. <laughs> I'm just teasing. I didn't mean anything by that, okay? Somebody said, one of our staff said, if it does fit, you must submit. Um, and, uh, but okay, so my hand is in there, right? Look at that glove. It's come alive. Glove, pick up my Bible. Look at that. What an obedient glove. 
you know, uh, I can tell it to do a lot of things now, and this glove will, will work. Why? Well, you know, right? You get it? Y'all get the picture? This glove is just a shell until there's a hand inside it. But when the hand uh, uh, is inside the glove, the glove becomes a useful uh, 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 instrument, doesn't it? You know what? That's the picture. You and I, we're just kind of like a shell until, okay, I can't get it off, so I'm just going to, uh, no. Uh, we're kind of like the glove until we're filled by the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit in us that is the hand of God that fills us to do the work of God. Otherwise, we're, we're not a lot better uh, than the glove. The Holy Spirit is God's provision for our power for living and that is the advantage that you and I have, that those who do not know Christ, uh, they don't have that. It's only in Christ. But here's the second thing I want you to notice this morning. I want you to notice <clears throat> not just the advantage of the Holy Spirit. I want you to notice the arrival of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 8 here in our passage this morning. It says, and when he comes, that simple phrase right there, and when he comes. It didn't say if he comes, but when he comes. The arrival of, now, he has come. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and, and the day of Pentecost, we see the arrival of the Holy Spirit. He has come. He has arrived, all right? At this stage, it was the promise that they needed. We have access to the same Holy Spirit, though, because they were waiting for him he came, and now he's here, and he resides in those who belong to him. But it wasn't if he comes. The fact is, Jesus, in the form of the Holy Spirit, has already arrived. And that's for our good. And, and, and listen, just a little footnote. And his activity in our life, as we'll talk about in a minute, is to, to move us, to lead us. And if you, if you reject the arrival of the Holy Spirit or the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, guess what you are rejecting? You are rejecting the power of God. Before Jesus went or ascended to the Father, he told them something. He told them to go and wait in Jerusalem. He said, I want you to go there. In Acts chapter 1, verse 4, he says, and whilst uh, staying with him, now he's already resurrected. This is between the resurrection and him ascending to the Father. And Jesus has already reconnected with them. And while staying with them, it says, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, to, uh, and, and that you heard from me. What was the promise? The promise is what he said right here. I'll go to the Father, and I'm going to send you a helper. And so he says, I want you to go uh, wait for, uh, uh, for me. And then in verse 8, he goes on and he adds this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the world. What was the primary reason they were told to wait in Jerusalem for? It was for power. And that power would come through the empowerment or the, uh, the coming of the Holy Spirit into their life. Now, I got to thinking about this when I was working on the message, and I thought, um, we all need the power of the Spirit. That's very uh, clear. But can you imagine, they had been hanging out with Jesus since his resurrection before his ascension uh, to the Father and uh, where he would send the Spirit. And, and I got to thinking, you know, would you have had any inspiration or motivation to, to follow Christ at, at, in between? You probably would have. You know, when a, 
person has come back for the grave and starts hanging out with you and says, I want you to be my witnesses, as he did in Matthew, you know, you will go into all the world and be my, you probably, that would motivate you a little bit, right? Here is our, this, Jesus, he was dead, but now he's alive and he's sitting here. He's got these scars in his hands and his side and all of that sort of stuff. And he's talking to us and he's, he's ministering to us. Um, I think I'm motivated. A dead man come to life talking to me i'm motivated are you i think uh, what do you want me to do <laughs> what do you want me to do uh, uh inspired all of that kind of thing but do you know that wasn't enough because here's why if all you've got is inspiration and motivation you will eventually wear out you'll eventually wear out you'll you'll run down you'll you you'll not be able to fulfill the task and he knew that and so he tells them don't just try to run on inspiration or motivation because i did what i said i said i would come back from the grave i know it's got you fired up i know you're pumped up you've come out of hiding and he said here's what i want you to do i want you to wait because you can't do what you need to do you can't live effectively until you have power and so i want you to go there and wait because the power is going to come but you need to wait don't let your motivation your inspiration get you ahead of the power of god and that's true for all of us to this day, isn't it? We sometimes, we, with good intentions, we try to strike out for God and, and do whatever we think God wants us to do, but we do it in our own flesh, in our own effort. Can I give you a couple of pointers? Number one, you can't serve God in your flesh effectively. Amen. You may can do some good things for God, but you, can't, you will eventually wear out. You'll eventually just run down. And uh, because you're not designed. Did you know you're not designed to try to, to carry out the purpose of God in your own uh, strength and flesh? It's kind of like, you know, you'll, you'll just eventually, you'll get to a point where you just, you just say, I'm, I'm exhausted trying to do. And you know, there are a lot of people that get so exhausted trying to serve God, they just drop out of everything. Uh, every year at the beginning of the year in January, the number one resolution across America is what? Tell me. No, it's not lose weight. Let's go to church. No, it is lose weight. You got it, right? Everybody knows that. Maybe you've been one of those who said, I've got to lose some weight and new year, new start for me. And maybe you're one of them, uh, perhaps uh, you've done something to motivate yourself. Have you ever done something like that? And, uh, you know, I've heard about people that take, uh, guys that take a picture of, you know, the Incredible Hulk or my picture and they'd put it on the refrigerator. They put it on their refrigerator and say, that's going to be my motive right there. That's what I want to become. That's what I want to look like. And that way, that'll keep me out of the refrigerator. Or, 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 or ladies put, uh, you know, for motivation, some, uh, 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 some beauty queen or something there and say, e I, every time I go for the wrong stuff, I'm going to look at that and I'm going to say, nope, I can't do it. And they start out with good intentions, great motivation, great inspiration. But you know, the statistics tell us that within six weeks, 90% of the people have already given up their resolutions. And it's amazing, people that do those kinds of motivations, they, they, find it, they find it so easy after a while to completely not even see the picture on the fridge. There's a picture there? You mean, who put a picture there? I didn't see a picture. Why? Because because we lose inspiration and we lose motivation that's why you got to have the spirit of god when it comes to life i'm not talking about your diet i mean he can help you with your diet too but but you understand what i'm saying 
inspiration, motivation by themselves are just not enough because you, you are incapable of, of, of living in, in the Spirit. Uh, have you ever seen or known someone, you don't have to raise your hand or anything, but have you ever known someone who really started, I mean, they just look like they got it. When it they, they just look like, you know, you watch them at church, you watch them maybe uh, in other settings, and you thought, man, they got it. God got a hold of them, and man, they're going and blowing for God. They, they just seem like they're so excited for God. And then, and then just well, one day, it's just like, it just almost happens immediately. They just begin the drift process, and they, you don't see them anymore and they, they, they quit or drop out. They stop serving God. And in some cases, they even I've seen them flip to the fact where they start denying God or even the need for God. What happened? What happened? They were, they were trying to live for God more out of religious zeal than actual relationship with Christ. And their old nature had never been changed. Think of it like this. If I were to take a pig... And I were to um, bathe that pig and then put an outfit of clothes on the pig. And let's say I even took a tube of lipstick and put, a, put lipstick on its snout, maybe sprayed some perfume on it, and even put a bow on its head. And then I said, you know what? I'm not going to let this pig hang out with the other pig, so I'm going to put it in a different environment. I'm going to put it in its own pen. So it'll be influenced to stay clean. Do you know eventually that pig would leave that pen if it got a chance and it would find its way all the way back to the mud? Do you know why? Because all you treated was surface stuff, outward stuff, and it worked for a little while. But because the nature on the inside wasn't changed, what you saw on the uh, outside would not be sustained. Do you know the Bible says that about us? If any person is in Christ, Second Chronicles, I mean Second Corinthians, if any person is in Christ, they are a new creation, a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You know what has to happen? For a pig not to be a pig, its nature has to be changed. And for you and I to be more than just religious zealots, our nature has to be changed. Because if you've just got uh, religious passion, it'll carry you only so far. And then you'll say, I tried that. You've talked to people before said, oh, yeah, I used to be real involved in, with God and church and all those kinds of things. But uh, that was another season in my life. Listen, what really was going on was that their nature had never really been changed. The parable of the sowers, I don't have time to talk about, is a perfect example. And, and frankly, you'll burn out without the power of the Spirit of God. Now, I, I do believe there are a lot of Christians that are burnt out. I, I believe that first uh, uh, group that I talked about are just not saved. They just got excited. They tasted a little bit, but they never really... Listen, here's why. You can't get over God. You don't just get over God. Man, I'm with God, I'm with God, I'm with God. I'm not. You don't just get over God. If you've been changed, if your nature has been changed, you don't just one day wake up and say, yeah, I tried the God thing. It's just not working. Now, we've got a lot of people in our culture today, and that's what they do. Ah, well, you know, if that works for you, that's great. I tried, it didn't work. I want to tell you, the problem it didn't work is because they were never changed. 
And I, th I tell you, a lot of times what we're doing is we're giving people a pass. I'm not saying go out and fuss at people. I'm just saying we're giving them a pass. Oh, well, they're just backsliding. They're not backsliding. They're lost. They're lost. And you may be one of those here today. And I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. I'm trying to help you understand that it is the Spirit of God that changes our nature. And He only comes in when we have received Christ. So you don't just get over God. The parable of the sowers, there were four different soul, uh, soils, S-O-I-L, representing four different S-O-U-Ls, and only one of them took. They all, the others all looked like, yeah, that looks like the real deal. That looks like the real deal. Do, do you understand you don't just get over God? Now, th there are believers who, are, who, who have worn themselves out. They've worn themselves out, and and. They started well, but they've just lost their, their passion uh, for God. They've grown cold and hard. Uh, the Word of God doesn't speak to them uh, like it did before. Uh, they may be saved, but their walk with God is weak and has little effect and influence on their service or their commitment to God. What happened to them? I mean, again, they started well, just like the other, but somewhere along the way, they stopped obeying the voice of God. Did you hear that? They stopped obeying the voice of God. They stopped responding to the promptings of the Spirit of God. If you are, if you are submitted to Him, He will prompt your heart. I'll talk about that in just a moment. But He will prompt you and lead you. And what happens when we get cold and indifferent to God because we stop listening to the voice of God. And by the way, that's a very dangerous place for a Christian to be. And, and slowly they get sidetracked. They can, in some cases, become angry and bitter at, at the church and at other Christians. The solution for this is Acts 1.8, being filled with the Spirit. Galatians 5.20, let us walk in the Spirit and we will not and we will not carry out the desires of the flesh. The Spirit, you see, the arrival of the Spirit is for the express purpose of connecting us constantly to the source of our strength. Now, let me move on. Number three, number three. Note the awareness of the Holy Spirit. The advantage of the Holy Spirit that's ours, the arrival of the Holy Spirit, and the awareness of the Holy Spirit. Charles Wendall, who a great... Uh, uh, a writer and uh, preacher, uh, wrote in Embraced by the Spirit. Listen, by the time I graduated from seminary, he said, I had many convictions and few questions, especially regarding the Holy Spirit. In other words, I thought I'd settled everything by the Holy Spirit. But during a lifetime of ministry that's taken me around the United States, many countries abroad, I have found that the work of the Holy Spirit continually keeps me off balance. And I'm not alone in that, he writes. Those in church leadership, however, seem afraid that the Spirit of God is going to do something that we can't explain. Hello? And so I, I want to manage the Spirit of God. That's what they're saying. And he said, I found out, I, I found that, that it disturbs a lot of folks, but I'll admit it energizes me that the Spirit may, be, do, uh, may, may do something uh, that I can't explain. And he says, I've come to realize that there are dimensions of the Spirit's ministry. I've never tapped, uh, I've never tapped in, uh, into places uh, like, like that as I have in this study. 
But he says, I have to admit, I know very little. He said, I'm on a strong learning curve. I have witnessed a dynamic power in the presence of the Spirit of God that I long to know more firsthand. I now have questions and a strong interest in many of the things of the Holy Spirit I once felt were already settled. To say it plainly, he says, I am hungry for more of him. I long to know God more deeply and more intimately. You know, he, he really he nails it with that. Many folks are afraid that the Spirit might do something that they don't know how to manage. Uh, to manage. Uh, believers are often fearful of the Holy Spirit, uh, that they have, it has caused them uh, not to, uh, to investigate the work of the Spirit, and as a result of that, to miss out on the power of the Spirit. You see, the Scripture clearly teaches that the Holy Spirit does certain things in our lives that we may not be able to explain but in order to make our walk with God more and more effective. Back in the early part of uh, 2000, I think it was 2004 or 5, a man named Elwood Norris, I guess he was, I know he's an inventor, he may have been an engineer, but he invented um, a technology called hypersonic sound. Hypersonic sound. And essentially, here's, here's the deal with, with what he created. He, he learned how uh, to focus sound waves like a laser beam. And here's, what he, here's, what, here's how to understand that. Um, the technology would enable sound waves to follow a certain direct pattern. To, let's say, Mark, <clears throat> I wanted to say something to you with hypersonic sound. And it would follow, these sound waves would go directly to you. I don't know if you had some kind of instrument that allowed you to hear it. But I, I could say it directly to you, and Susan could be sitting right next to you and talking, and, and she wouldn't hear a thing that you hear. Hypersonic sound. And I thought, wow, that's pretty incredible. I don't know how the technology has gone on to develop, but people around you couldn't hear. But if you were to, to move over a seat, let's say you moved over a seat, you would miss it too because it would be somehow focused on that spot right there, and only a person in that spot would hear it. Does that make sense? hypersonic sounds pretty cool but when i read that i thought man that's the holy spirit the holy spirit says if you stay in the right place where's the right place right in the middle of the will of god then you will have ha access to the voice of the spirit of god mm. hss holy spirit sound not hypersonic, but right to you. Isn't that cool? But if you get out, if you get out of the will of God, don't be surprised if you no longer can recognize or hear the voice of the Spirit of God. God communicates uh, uh, to us with the, uh, with the Spirit. Jesus even said in our passage, he, he, uh, uh, I'll take from my Father, and uh, he'll take from uh, the Father and from me, and then I'll give it to you. God wants to communicate with you. But if we move outside of the boundaries of his will for our life, guess what? His voice becomes harder and harder and harder to hear. The Holy Spirit is important to us. The awareness of that Holy Spirit is essential for our connection to the Father and knowing what the Father wants to do. 
Uh, this last thing, he tells us what to be aware of, by the way, and he gives us three specific things to be aware of. Let me show them to you. Number one is conviction, the Spirit's conviction. He says, what's he going to do? He's going to convict the world. And, and by the way, you'll notice that this is, not, this is not limited to believers only because he talks about convicting the world and convict the world of sin. That includes us, but it, it's not limited to us. One of the important tasks of the Spirit that we need to understand is his role to bring conviction of sin, conviction of sin. He reveals our nature to us. Uh, uh, the Spirit convinces us, and the idea there is convict and convince, that the conviction convinces us of our condition, okay, of our nature, uh, of our, our sin. And, and by the way, you need to be worried if there's no conviction when you sin. Did you get that? If you can sin and say, well, it really doesn't bother me, that ought to bother you. The fact that sinning doesn't bother you should bother you because what, what the Bible is teaching us is that if you, are, if you are a child of God, the Spirit of God dwells in you. He may not be the Lord of your life, but He dwells in you. And when sin happens, He convicts of sin. Now, don't go out and sin today to see if you fall under conviction. I'm going to test that theory out. Trust me on this one. It, it works. That if you're a child of God, you're, but if you can sin and not be convicted by that sin, that itself should concern you, all right? So it convicts us. And he says, convicts of righteousness. Why? Because I go to the Father. Now, let me just quickly, without getting into deep theology, uh, tell you what, what essentially that means. Jesus, you know, ascended to the Father after the resurrection, before the Spirit came down. And what was Jesus doing? Well, um, he was presenting the blood sacrifice that he had made on the cross uh, to the Father in uh, the heavenly tabernacle, if you will. That's what he's talking about here. In other words, he made us righteous. Jesus went to the Father, and he, he made us righteous before the Father. You know what righteousness means? It means right standing, so that we stand righteous before God. We have right standing before God because of the work of the, of the Holy Spirit. That's why he said, I go to my Father. It's done. It, it, it's paid for. Uh, your redemption is paid for. Uh, and now there is one way and only one way that you and I can be righteous before God. And only the Holy Spirit can teach us that, can cause us to, to understand that, because man is ignorant and he tends to think that righteousness is a result of self-righteousness. In other words, well, I've tried to live a good life. I know I live a lot better than these, this person or this person. A self-righteous kind of thing, even with good intentions. Or I've tried to be a good person, and so God will honor that, and, and that'll, that'll get me into the, the kingdom. Uh, those are good things, but that's not what we're talking about, and that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says there, are, there is none righteous, no, not one. And in the Old Testament, the prophet said that our righteousness, the best we can offer is like a filthy rag to God. So Jesus said, now does it make sense? So I go to the Father. Why? So that I can make you righteous before the throne of God. And only the Spirit of God can teach you that. And there are a lot of sincere people who say, well, you know, I just really, I think if I do enough good stuff, my good outweighs my bad, that has to work. You know, you can be sincere, but sincerely wrong, right? You can be sincere about something, but sincerely wrong. Sulfuric acid and water look just alike. Did y'all know that? When I we lived in Florida, we had two different homes we lived in while we were down there, and 
Both of them had uh, swimming pools, and in our first home, I thought, well, I can take care of the pH and keep it balanced and everything I learned, but it's a lot of work, and finally, I got smart enough to let somebody else do it that really knew what they were doing, but you had to put so much sulfuric acid in the pool every week, and uh, I, I, had, I remembered a little axiom from when I was in chemistry, and it w went like this, do as you oughta, anybody know it? Add acid to water. Now, there's a reason for that. If you add water to acid, it'll explode, blow up in your face. But they look alike. I mean, you could put, if you put two jars together, water and sulfuric acid, you better be careful what you pick up. I mean, one is H2O and one is H2SO4, but you can't tell the difference. One is water and one's deadly poison. Y'all, have y'all heard the old phrase, poor Willie, he's gone from us? His face will see no more. <laughs> For what he thought was H2O was really H2SO4. Look, if a man sincerely drinks a glass of sulfuric acid, does it matter how sincere he is if he's sincerely dead? The only hope that man has of righteousness is not his self-righteousness, it is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You know, the Jews thought that they could kind of earn it. They could kind of work it out in Romans. Uh, uh, that Romans is a letter Paul wrote to the Jewish believers in Rome. And they had a, a lot of different uh, uh, dysfunctions. But one of them was that they were, many of them thought that they could just, you know, self-righteousness. They could live for, uh, you know, they could, out, their, out, their good could outdo. and They could earn it and that sort of thing. And in Romans 10, Paul writes, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God. That's Jesus Christ, what I've just been talking about. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking, listen to this, to establish their own, their own righteousness, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Look, Jesus Christ is the only righteous standard. And so the, uh, the Spirit brings that conviction to us. It's through in, in Jesus. Jesus has made the way. And then he says the Spirit will convict of judgment. Why? Because the ruler of this world has been judged. The Holy Spirit not only convicts of sin and convicts us of righteousness, He also convicts and convinces our heart that judgment, that we will be accountable for our lives. Now, there's, there's a, a cool thing in this, this passage, and, and look at verse 11. It says, concerning judgment, now and I want you to get this. This is, really, this is really cool. Because the ruler of this world is judged. Now, question for you, class, who is the ruler of this world? Satan, the Bible says he's the prince and power of this heir that, the, that Jesus or, and, and the Father have allowed him a dominion right now. That's going to all change one day. Uh, but it says, so the ruler of this world ha, ha, uh, is judged. <clears throat> now watch this. This is so cool. You know, a lot, of, a lot of people, you know what they think? They're waiting on this great cosmic eternal showdown. God and the devil, it's going to come. We're, uh, our money's on Jesus, but it's going to be a conflict. Can I tell you, it's already been settled. That is in the Greek, that's the present tense when it says it judged. Do you know what it means? It means it's already happened. 
the ruler of this world has already been judged. We're not saying, ooh, it's going to be close. It's going to be, you know, when Jesus comes, there's going to be the cosmic battle and the showdown, and, and Jesus will win. I believe that. But, man, it's going to be. No, he's already won. The cross was the judgment on the prince and power of this world. He has been judged, period. There's not some battle coming. You say, well, the battle of Armageddon. That's not even what this is talking about. In fact, when Jesus returns in that final, in that final time when he comes, he comes back and he descends. You know what the Bible says will happen? He will look at his enemies and with a word it will be done. He'll go with his breath. It'll be kind of like this. I'm tired of you, devil. And it's done. It's over. And it's because he's already been judged. You say, so why does the devil keep this battle going on? Because he hates God. He hates anything that's God. Have you ever seen somebody that did something to someone else just out of spite? That's the devil. That's his mode of operation right now until Jesus returns. It's just out of spite. Okay, then I'm going to take as many people to hell with me as I can then just to spite you. Why? Because I know, God, you love them. So I'm going, to take, I'm going to take creation that you love. If I'm going to hell, I'm taking as many as I can with me. Does that make sense? So you need to understand that he's already been judged. We're not waiting for judgment to, uh, we're waiting for it to be consummated, but we're not waiting for the verdict to be rendered. The verdict was rendered on the cross. In fact, Paul writes in Corinthians, says, if the prince of darkness had have understood what was going on at the cross, he would have never crucified the Lord of glory. He would have never stood for the, the you know, probably would have put a robe on him and tried to exalt him and everything. Said, uh, But he didn't know that that was his judgment that God was bringing about. And that's why Jesus on the cross said this is a power-packed statement. He said, to Tetelestai, it is finished. Not only the work of redemption. See, we always say, well, when Jesus said that, man, that's the work of redemption. It's finished. Praise God. Uh, yes, praise God. But it means more than that. It means the ruler of this world has been judged. And the verdict has been rendered. He has been sentenced. And we're simply awaiting for the sentence to be enacted. That's what it means. So he convicts us of judgment to help us understand the Holy Spirit wants to teach you that the devil is a lost cause. Now, God didn't design us for hell. But that doesn't mean people won't be in hell. He, he didn't design anybody in this room for hell. He didn't design anybody that's watching us by live stream. He didn't design any of us for hell. But I will tell you this this morning. The judgment that has already been pronounced upon the devil will also fall upon all of those who refuse the provision that God has made. He didn't design you for it, but if you refuse the provision, the same judgment that has fallen upon the devil will fall upon you. So we have to be aware of the Spirit's convicting. Then uh, uh, be there, the Spirit's direction. It says in verse 13, he will, he will guide you. One of the most important tasks of the Holy Spirit is to bring direction in our lives. 
Look at verse 13. He says in that verse, he says, there are many things more that I would like to say to you, but I can't say them. Why, can't I, why couldn't he say them? He, because they wouldn't understand, he said. Which is why they needed the Holy Spirit. And that's why he says, but you just go, you wait in Jerusalem. When the Holy Spirit comes, guess what he will do? He'll do two things. He will guide you into all truth. He says it, right? He will guide you into all truth. It's one of the greatest benefits of being filled by the Holy Spirit is his leadership. We're so prone to error, aren't we? You and I, you know, I've said it to you many times in my own life, I know this. If the Spirit of God, if the power of God doesn't interact in my life, I'm going to mess my life up ten times before this day is out. Right? We are prone to error. It's, it is our original nature is to mess up. Nobody has to coach you how to mess up, do they? You don't have to take a class on how to commit error in life. You got it. We're all pros at it. That's why we have to have something beyond ourselves saying, nope, nope, this is the way, walk in it. Because if we don't, we know how to do the error thing. So the Spirit, He comes, Jesus said, here's why you need Him, because He's going to guide you into all truth. He's going, and by the way, the Spirit of God will never lead you into error. Have you ever, have you ever made a choice and maybe even blamed it on God, but it wasn't the right choice, and yeah, you get a little way down the road and you go, ooh, I, whoops, I probably shouldn't have done that. Y'all ever done that? Anybody besides me ever done that? Raise your hand. You're in church. Don't lie. Okay. You've done that, haven't you? And you go, oh, man, what was I thinking? I want to tell you some good news. This is why you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God will never lead you to a place and then go, oops. Oh, oops. What was I thinking? I led them the wrong way. The Spirit will guide you into all truth. So if you follow His promptings and obey, I didn't say you understand them all. Because you won't. You, sometimes you'll think, Look, again, don't be more spiritual than God in here this morning. You ever thought to yourself, I don't think you know what you're doing, God. Right? Because sometimes that's the way it feels. Let's be honest, it just feels like, uh, God, I, I, this is faith. That's called faith. I trust you. you got a proven track record, so I'm going to trust you. But I'm not sure you know. God will never lead you wrong. Even if you don't understand the promptings of the Spirit, trust if you are filled with the Spirit, you trust the promptings of the Spirit. He, he's going to guide you into all truth. He, he, look, here's something else He will guide you into, the, the things to come. There's so many voices pulling on us out there right now. There's so many things yelling at us. There's so many things declaring uh, at us. We, we need a discerning God to help us know how to, to, how to move forward, don't we? Our nation's in trouble. Our, our world is in trouble. And, and part of it is right now, especially for us, part of it is because there are so many voices. There are political voices calling at, uh, out to us. There are pandemic voices calling out to us. There are cultural voices calling out to us. There are media voices calling out to us. There are academic voices calling out to us. And frankly, a lot of them are just all over the place, aren't they? And many of them are illogical they're radical, and frankly, some of them are theologically inconsistent. Now, they're all over, pulling at us. So you need a guide. 
You need a guide. You need a voice that will lead you into the truth, that will direct you into the truth. Too many Christians are listening to the wrong voice. They're listening to the spirit of the age instead of the spirit of God Almighty. And I want to tell you something. If you listen to the spirit of the age, you're not going to get to the right place. You know, how many of you, there's probably some folks in this, or how many of you remember a man named Yogi Berra, a legendary Hall of Fame baseball player? He was known for his wit and stupidity. I mean, in, in things he said, it just so inconsistent. One of the things he said was, some of you might recognize this phrase, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. Now, y'all think about that. Because it characterizes the age in which you're living. People are saying there are so many paths, just take all of them. People are trying to take all the paths, follow all the voices. But the Bible says that God's not the author of confusion. God is not sending out all kind of different messages. The Bible says there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it is the way of destruction. You see, if you aren't under the direction of the Spirit, that's the path you're walking. You're walking the way of destruction. It may seem right. It may, it may look right. It may feel right. It may smell right. But if it is not the path of the Spirit of God and the will of God, I want to tell you, it will eventually lead to ruin. But let me close by telling you about one other thing we need to be aware of with the Spirit, and that is we need to be aware of the Spirit's exaltation. Look at verse 14. What is the Spirit's task? It is to glorify Jesus Christ. The work of the Spirit will always bring glory to God. It will always bring glory to, to, to Christ. The work of the Spirit is not about bringing glory to man. It is about bringing glory to God through man. In fact, one of the primary ways you can know if something is of God or not, there are some, several ways the Scripture tells us, but one of those ways is ask the question, does this bring glory to God or glory to a person? Because the Spirit of God will always bring glory to God, to Jesus Christ, never to man. So ask yourself when you see something, say, I'm trying to figure out, does it, is it bringing, is it exalting Christ? Is it glorifying Christ? Now, you may be here this morning, and I want to close by, by asking a couple of questions. You may be here this morning saying, well, you know, Pastor, I, I just... I don't, I don't sense the promptings of the Spirit like you're talking about. Pastor, I, I don't sense the presence of the Spirit uh, around me. And it's not about feeling. It's about faith. Okay, sometimes there is a, there is a great sense of the Spirit of God. And, and sometimes uh, we, we walk purely by faith. But you say, I don't get any of that. I don't, the, I don't see the fruits of the Spirit operating in my life. I'll talk about those in this series, The Fruit of the Spirit. I don't see that stuff operating in my life. I just don't sense His presence around me. That ought to concern you. And that's because Paul writes in Romans 8 9, he says, You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. And then he makes this statement listen. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. 
The presence of the Spirit of God in your life is evidence that you belong to God. That's what he says. That's not about a feeling. That's a faith fact. When you come to Christ, the Spirit comes to live inside of you. And if the Spirit's operation is not happening in your life, there are only, there are only a couple of possibilities. Number one is you really didn't come to Christ. You just came to a religious understanding of God. Or you came to Christ and somewhere back there something torqued you or bent your spirit or you quit falling or you quit listening to his voice and quit obeying and you just wandered off track. Well, in either way, if the first is true of you, you need to settle that today so you can walk out of this place and say, I know I belong to him and I'm going to submit to his influence and leadership in my life. If the second is true of you, you need to say, Lord, I need to, I, I know I'm saved, but I need to surrender to your leadership again in my life like I was back there. Whatever it may be, I need to deal with. If there's some sin, by the way, if you're tolerating some sin in your life, that will keep the Spirit of God from ruling in your life. And so you might need to deal with that so you can get back in a, in a course. You know that, that hypersonic sound, that Holy Spirit sound channel? You need to get back there. And so I urge you to do that today. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? No one's looking about before we're gone. And I, I want to just add, those of you who are watching on <clears throat> live stream or television, wherever it may be, and those of you who are live here in the audience, I want to offer a prayer. And you can pray something like this. If you've never put your trust in Jesus Christ or you're not sure you've ever truly given your life to Christ, you can pray right now and you can settle that if you mean it from your heart and pray a prayer that goes something like this. Lord Jesus... I thank you that you love me. I thank you died, that you died on the cross for my sins. And right now, I invite you to come into my life. If I never trusted you today, I want to trust you. I want you to come into my life and be my Savior and my Lord and my Master. If you'll call on him like that, he'll hear that prayer. He's promised to do that. He said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I want you to save me. I invite you in. I want to be full of your Holy Spirit. Now, maybe you're in that second category. You know Christ is your Savior, but you have, you have wandered away today. Why don't you do this? Why don't you say, Lord, thank you that I'm saved. I know that I'm saved. I have no doubts about uh, my salvation. But, Lord, I want to return to the day where I heard your voice clearly and where you moved in my life, and I could sense your spirit, and I could see and understand your promptings and your leadership, and I will obey you. I will begin today to obey you. Now, Lord Jesus, you've heard these prayers, and I thank you for them, wherever they may be, live stream or uh, here in this audience, Father. And I pray that you will begin fresh work in those who have come to you humbly this morning and with meaning in their hearts and offered prayers like these to you. We thank you that you've already promised to hear them. In Jesus' name, amen.